Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast that addresses all of the things that go on with therapists, the psychotherapy world, and... We've been listening to some of the chatter on some of the Facebook groups and other message boards and places where clinicians gather and really listening to some very interesting criticisms and self-evaluations that some therapists have been going through, specifically in response to some of the Black Lives Matter protests and reconsidering whether or not the work that we do just teaches people to be okay with systems that are in place. Now, this is a very broad statement. And for a lot of the arguments that I've seen online, this in particular deals with working with clients who are victims of trauma, of working around the ideas that if we just treat the individual to get past what has happened to them, that this ultimately leads psychotherapy to being a reinforcement of the status quo. Now, for longtime listeners of our show, you know that status quo is just not something that Katie and I are going to stand for. And if that's you know your first introduction to our podcast here, then there's plenty of catalog, you know, back episodes that you can go back and listen to. This is a pretty consistent theme that Katie and I try to address. And for our longtime listeners, welcome to Katie and I continuing to try and adjusting the entire world to actually creating some change and creating some change within the psychotherapy profession. But, you know, I was a sociology minor in college. And, of course, being in sociology, you have to study Karl Marx and Marx's first assertion that religion was the opiate of the masses. But is psychotherapy now just becoming an opiate to maintain the status quo? I think there's a lot of argument that it can be. I feel more hopeful that it may not be, especially in practitioners who, like us, are challenging the status quo and are looking at what's actually happening in the room versus what potentially training has taught us. But even the idea of getting someone back to normal, this idea of normal, really is very culture-bound. And potentially allows for therapy to be promoting more of a white, patriarchal, heteronormative, ableist, blah, 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 kind of agenda on someone who may not fit into those categories or don't want to fit into those categories. And I think that there's been a, a history of therapy being 
by and for white people, by and for uh, a, a lot of these concepts of how do we help someone fit better into society. And so in addition to kind of getting over trauma, I think there's also this helping people to fit into what is normal, right? And I think to me, there's been a history of folks who have pushed back against this. There's feminist therapy that was, you know, there's an article that I'll put in the show notes called the prostitution of psychotherapy, a feminist critique. And this was in the nineties that, that really was speaking to how therapy has historically failed women and other marginalized people. It's also something where there's liberation psychology. There's the, the kind of phrase at this point, decolonizing therapy. Like there's a lot of folks who are saying that therapy is not this blank slate person helping you to heal. It is actually someone who potentially has an agenda to maintain the status quo for people in a, in a status quo that may not be helpful or, or potentially is even very toxic or harmful to the individual sitting in your room. And so there's a lot of other things to go into, but, but the short answer, Kurt, is, yeah, I think that therapy could be the opiate of the masses, the new opiate of the masses at times, because it allows us to navigate through something that is bad for us instead of fighting back against it. I'm really glad that you bring up that we are not the ones who invented challenging the therapy profession and pointing out things like feminist therapy theory and a lot of the predecessors of challenging what the status quo of therapy is. Because this is something where people evolve, society evolves. You know, we see this historically through things like the DSM where we once pathologized things like homosexuality, that as society changed, we realized that homosexual people and all of the LGBTQ plus people are no longer demonized, at least within the DSM. Uh, yeah. society's, got, <laughs> so society's got some places to, to go with that. But, but we have evolved. But it still comes back to this idea of psychotherapy essentially being a white construct and the reinforcement of ideas around the, you know, the, the gold standards of our profession being still very much steeped in that white privileged culture. You know, the other areas that we see this is things like, you know, the original criticisms around the MMPI was that the sample size around it and the people that it was standardized around were very white Midwestern people. And they seemingly addressed some of those changes in the evolution to the MMPI too in the 80s. And now I'm no testing expert, but I would like to think that in the same jump between the 1960s and the 1980s, we've made from the 1980s to the 2020s, and that there's a reason that things should be renormed every now and then around an ever-evolving society of what is considered normal. But this really still comes to many of the practices that we still engage in, and taking this from kind of this high-level structure down even into the way that we interact in our offices is how this still permeates the way that we work. Because there's a lot of even good therapy that feels constrained by the profession into not being able to make changes. Now, 
this comes up in some of these online discussions that we're seeing around things like, you know, racial issues and dealing with the systemic changes around the way that racial minorities are treated by the larger social systems in general. And we've had discussions even on the podcast here over the last couple of months around how those systems came to be, how we've internalized the way that we interact with those systems. But we haven't really looked at how the therapists continue to reinforce that. And I know for me, working with teenagers, one of the ways that I feel this push-pull in a lot of the consultation groups, discussions that we end up having are around even down to the very smallest of systems, you know, the family system. When working with a teenager with divorced parents, not wanting to interact too much with one parent because it might teeter the system too much and you're only working with the individual that just ends up teaching kids to placate their parents. To be okay with a crappy system of one parent disagrees with me, the other one enmeshes with me, or some other combination that we feel limited within our roles and our psychotherapy boundaries to not actually address change, but to make people okay with dealing and recognizing the system that's around them and telling them, hey, good luck. Yes, and... Because I think that when I when I was doing some of this reading around whether it's the feminist therapy, but also kind of there was a, a an article around second order versus first order versus second order versus third order change and, and thought processes and and therapy, there was really this idea that and, and this speaks to that kind of individual versus family, right? So you know, helping the individual to survive their family versus creating change within the family system. And so that goes from first order to second order. But when we're looking at third order, it's really looking at the system with which, within which the family operates or the numbers of systems within, they, which, within which they operate and recognizing that each person within all of these systems. So it's not just this kid in the family. It's also each of the family members within the larger systems and all of those interactions and, and that huge amount of interplay. Because to me, and I think this is one of the reasons why I love working with adults and working with parents oftentimes, is that there's there can be a otherness or a vilification of parents as the creator of the systems, but the parents are actually within their own systems and maybe operating in poverty, they may be operating in their own, you know, kind of work system where they're being bullied at work. I mean, there's so many different possibilities of what can be happening. They may be operating within racism, within, you know, all different types of toxic systems themselves, which then really creates this, it's a much harder assessment, right? Like if I can just assess this individual in front of me and treat what their, their problem is, if I can treat this kid as having this problem and everything is fine, way easier. But if I have to go out and, and assess the family system and then the systems with, within which the family operates, it becomes much more complex and requires a lot more change potentially. But it's way more effective for us as a society. And I think that's the part that, that 
we we often lose. And that's the part that I think when we look at evidence-based practices or managed care or any of these things where we want to have these solid goals and these solid interventions or even everything should be fixed in 10 sessions or whatever the nonsense is, like those things are way easier to categorize than, you know, let's just shift poverty and community violence. Let's just shift, you know, racial injustice. And then everybody will feel better because I think that's actually more truthful is if we could get to a society that truly supported all of its members and went away from this idea of normal versus abnormal. I'm hearing Joel Schwartz speaking in my mind about neurodiversity even and how people interact in a, in a society where people who think differently are subdued so that they can fit into society. Like to me, it, it's wild to think about, but it's also something where I, I find difficulty having hope that folks can hang in that society where everyone is accepted because the amount of diversity is mind blowing. And so being able to create change that allows for that acceptance and that collective healing is amazing, but I don't even know where to start. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Uh, I imagine that the social workers listening to us are saying, we know where to start because... (laughs) But I think that this also comes down to the way that we're trained and the way that our training is reinforced. Surprise, surprise. This is where I'm going to take this argument is. Yes, of course. (laughs) So much of, you know, bringing up social workers, Katie and I are marriage and family therapists, the psychologists and the counselors out there listening have each of our, you know, scope of what we're taught and the slight differentiations as far as where we conceptualize problems to happen. And essentially what this discussion is becoming is how do all of these different levels integrate and what can our clients and our clinicians who are leading those clients do about it? Because it does look at the individual in the room. It looks at the individual therapist who's in the room. It looks at the families who might be coming, the families that are interacting, all those different levels of society that you're talking about. And this really comes from kind of training us to look at all of these systems together and being able to intervene with them. And I'm a big fan of supervision. This comes to the seven-eyed model of supervision developed by Hawkins and Showhead of being able to look at, you know, the 
therapist, the supervisor, the client in the room, the interactions within the society that exists and the time within that society that exists. You know, I mentioned earlier in the episode, the way around LGBTQ plus people were treated 50 years ago is an entirely different society than how they're interacting now. Well, there's a lot of similarities. There's a ton of differences too. And so to say that the interventions and the context of how they're relating are the same is misguided and misinformed. So we'll include a link to some information about that seven-eyed model of supervision in the show notes. You can find those at mtsgpodcast.com. But this also comes down to some of the approaches of the theories themselves. If we look at you know, whether or not people can become okay with their issues or presenting problems or actually do something about them comes down to even the way that we conceptualize them. And whether this is a limitation, a idea that I think I first saw from decolonizing therapy around, you know, criticism of CBT, you know, it's very privileged to be able to think that you can just address your problems by thinking differently, which inherently in of itself is saying that, you know, this is just becoming okay with what's out there. We had Dr. Travis Heath on about a month or so ago and talking about, you know, this really wonderful narrative therapy approach and, you know, the social justice aspect that's inherent in that. And I think, you know, for a lot of the development around narrative therapy and kind of the inherent quality of you're not the problem, the problem's the problem, that really helps people to be able to navigate not only their individual aspects, but also having at least the idea of being an agent of change of creating a political difference too. I think the challenge I have with this is that I, like you, like most of our listeners have been trained in this model of helping the individual find their own solutions to cope with what's happening to them and even if we don't say, hey, you're ADHD versus, hey, you're distracted by trauma or whatever, if, if, if we don't go to diagnosis, if we don't go to the auto automatically norming that we do, but just like, hey, you're this individual, these are the things that make you up and you're in a situation that is, of course, impacting your ability to do the things that you want to do are clearly impacting your mood and your anxiety level, all those things. If we can, if we can actually honor the person within the context and not just you're the problem, you're a hysterical woman or you're a angry man or whatever it is. Like if we can go to, well, of course you're upset because of the system or the context within which you live. I think that's, that's a, a move in the right direction. And I feel like maybe that's, that's something that we've already been able to do. But then I look at with some of the pieces in society and certainly in some of our, our members of society who have been repeatedly marginalized, who are, who are in danger, it would make sense that they were constantly terrified or enraged or hopeless or any of those things. And so I don't want to diminish the righteousness of the emotions that they're feeling, but I also don't want to leave them without resources, without some way to get to feeling empowered to make change, which may or may not be 
realistic. Like, and that's the other part, like it's, I find difficulty in having hope for an individual's ability for change at times myself, but I want to honor and, and normalize the experience that they're having, but I also want to help them to take individual action without making it their responsibility to fix that problem, but also not making it completely out of their hands and everything's hopeless. So I, I try to walk that line, but I think it's very hard because in a lot of the things I've read across a lot of different things, it's like, well, if I'm telling, if I'm telling my client to, to do coping skills, to meditate, to potentially do some, some cognitive restructuring, I'm diminishing that experience. And I don't believe that that's, I think there's some gray area there, but I, I feel like I'm still struggling to navigate with that, if that makes sense. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I like that you started that with yes and, and following up our episode last week with Jamie Marriage of both and yes that it takes both and i think that this is kind of the realization of you know here in the moment of it does take us an ability to individually be able to not get out of sorts out of our bodies out of our window of tolerance to be able to make the systemic changes around us. Now that's both as clinicians and as clients, that it does take some individual skills to stay regulated, to stay resourced, to be able to not become overwhelmed when facing the larger systemic problems that have potentially led us into those issues in the first place. And I think that that's that comprehensive view of psychotherapy that we have to be able to take a step back and be able to help a psychoeducate our clients, but B psychoeducate our clinicians on that. We have all of these systems that go to reinforce, you know, these very fast and efficient approaches. You know, we look at, you know, limitations that are placed by some managed care panels on the number of sessions to completely pile all of the responsibility of individual change onto the individual, but don't address any of the systemic changes around them. I read an article some time ago, and I'll find it and post it in the show notes around a, a massive number of farmers in India who were dying by suicide. And we can go and we can intervene with suicide with farmers in India, but if that doesn't address the poverty that places them into suicidal ideas in the first place, we're not really creating change. We're just letting people not be as suicidal within the broader systems of which they exist. And this is where, as mental health practitioners, we have to be interested in the broader social service systems around to be able to address some of the changes as well, but we have to be aware of them And if they're not there, we have to be out there advocating for those services to exist. And it brings me back to this notion around, I think you said window of tolerance. 
But there's also this complacence and, and back to the idea of this opiate of the masses, because I think if we're treating the individual and providing the individuals with enough to survive, to, to cope, to regulate, which is actually a term that folks are saying is indicative of the harm that therapy can do because we're, we're wrangling our emotions versus expressing them and being able to be in, in, in a mode of healing. So that's a whole other conversation. But, but I think if we, if we get folks to a place where they can hang, so to speak, they can just do and, and be in the current system. If we push too far into that place where where they're calm and and capable and able to handle it, then there is not the red flag. There's not this, this thing saying, wait a second. And I'm not saying that there should be more farmers in India that die by suicide because I think that's horrible. But I think when we fix that symptom, it diminishes the urgency to fix the system. I don't want to have a, a therapy practice where I keep people riled up so they they incite change or they're empowered to do something because I think individually that's extremely painful and the person needs to opt into that. So I think it's it's something where it's do you put a Band-Aid on or are you able to find a way to get the resources, get the, the well, mental well-being or whatever it is so that a person can still feel motivated for change. And so that's the part that I, I just, it, it feels like this weird line to walk because I know, I think about my own kind of minimal experiences of this where I was in therapy, I was talking to my friends, I was doing everything I could to survive the, the, the profession. You know, and I stayed long past it was harming my health. I stayed long past it was doing horrible things to my my relationships, all of these things, because I had enough to keep moving forward. So that is a system that we're trying to change, you know, these these toxic work environments and those types of things that we're actually trying to, to do something about that. And I feel very good about it, but I wasn't at the time. Or maybe in my small way, I was trying to do it, but I was just figuring out how do I fill up a little bit so I can keep soldiering forward in the status quo. Now, I think about the larger societal issues. I think that it takes so much <laughs> to make enough change for people not to, to, to have that problem. So, so it's not an exact parallel, but I think that as therapists, we can do a really good job of moving people to complacence if we're not careful. And this comes back to having the therapeutic relationship and the goals with the clients of looking at each of these levels of presenting issues altogether. There's the individual action to heal, and there's pl plenty of historical evidence that psychotherapy is very effective at that. There's also talking about clients of now that now that we are to this place of regulation now that we're past the charge of trauma is it within your capacity to be able to take this pass it on create the change to where other people are not put into these environments and that's 
what you're speaking to here is that sometimes we're in the midst of all of the crap. We're not able to do much about it. Sometimes it takes time and there's plenty of marginalized communities out there that are like, yeah, we're, we've been saying that for decades or centuries, but this is that end stage treatment goal. And you may even be talking about this from the beginning stage treatment goals, but the end stage is now that, now that you are past this, now that you, what do you want to do with this? Mm-hmm. That becomes kind of that justice advocacy that people can lead into. You know, this is anything from individual traumas, relationship traumas, societal traumas that helps take our profession from being this opiate to being this agent of change. Yes, and (laughs) I think that there are folks who would argue that therapy, if not done with an eye to context, with an eye to individual goals, has not been helpful for marginalized uh, individuals. So I I do want to just acknowledge that element of it. I very much resonate with the rest of it. I think that there's this notion that when I have a chance to heal or to get to a place where I have more resources to affect change, I, I may still be motivated to do so because of the experience that I've had. And so I, I, I want to acknowledge that because I think that's very important. I think, and, and this speaks to very, because we, we need to start wrapping up, but I think that it speaks to this notion of the role of the therapist, not just being in the room, but also in the profession and in society. And, and there's, there's a lot of different models that speak to that, but I think it, it it speaks to some of the feedback we got on on Travis's episode, the therapy as a political act, where people are like, you know, this is irresponsible, like therapy, it shouldn't be political and that kind of stuff. And I think for us to be effective, there needs to be our life experiences that can inform and, and also our ongoing education so that we understand really what who's sitting in front of us and what context they're facing. But we also need to do that advocacy piece. We also need to be fully embodied agents of change, not just how do I help this person right here in front of me? And, and I, I've said the opposite before, like, let's just do stuff in our, our therapy room. But I think at this point with what's happened, even since, I, and that was on uh, the therapy movement, you know, t- explaining the therapy, but when we did at the, the conference, I was like, you can do a revolution in your office. I'm like, yeah, do what you can. But I, I really, at this point, think that we need to be agents of change in our communities, full stop. And I think another example of this is our episode with Dr. Harry Aponte, when he was talking about working with the community organizers and the local government around creating schools for gang members. Yeah. And that the revolution is an and beyond what your therapy office is. Yeah. And even for our clients who may not have, even at the end of therapy, the privileges and the opportunities to create change, it doesn't mean that they have to be the leaders of that change that you know, a lot of these systemic issues affect more than just the one individual. It might be connecting with other people who are faced with the same to become organized, to start creating these systemic movements. 
And for those of you who've been listening to us all along, have been supportive from the beginning, have started to be able to become involved in your therapist organizations, to initiate change, to advocate to agencies, to take better care of clinicians, to deal with therapist education in a way that helps to prepare us to actually be responsive to the people in our room in effective ways, to help them to conceptualize that they're not limited by the therapy walls. I agree with Katie's full stop. And there's a lot of ways to do it. So there's not one specific thing, but we, we need to take action. We need to do stuff that we, that helps to at the very least impact the, the context in which our clients find themselves. So we've mentioned a ton of resources. Uh, you can find those in our show notes at mtsgpodcast.com. We've also been talking about some of the people, Dr. Travis Heath, Dr. Harry Aponte, people who are going to be at our Therapy Reimagined Conference. And that's coming up September 25th, 26th. We're going virtual this year. So come and join us, or I guess join us from afar. Be part of our hashtag therapy movement from the comfort of wherever it is that you get your kicks with being frustrated with the psychotherapy system and be an agent of change with us. And you can find out more information and all of the CE stuff that we're being helped out with by simple practice and simple practice learning. You can find out more about all of that at mtsgpodcast.com. And until next time, sitting in our righteous anger about all sorts of systems, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.